0: My name's steve um, i'd love to meet you after the service also um we're, as lynn said we're covering the end chapters of amos three chapters uh, tonight really would help you if you had a bible open or at least your phone open um, and then you'll know what what i'm talking about um, and there's an outline as well which might help you so uh, grab those and i'll pray loving father we pray that you would help us as we hear your word now to be transformed by it uh, please change the way we think and the way we live uh, in response to what you say here and we ask this in Jesus name Amen well I was sitting with a friend this week who was telling him about his sister his sister's not a believer uh, and she doesn't believe in anything much beyond this life um, her philosophy is to get as much enjoyment out of the present moment as she possibly can and don't think too much about the future And she recently retired, and when she retired, her great fear in retirement was that maybe she would have too much time and end up thinking too much about the future and everything else. She didn't want to think about life, she just wanted to live in the moment. Uh, But to her relief, like most retirees, she found that she was very busy and she didn't actually have to think much. She didn't have time to sit there and think anyway, and so she was happy she could live in the moment. And many people live uh, the same way. They may not be as determined to not think about the future, As this uh, person is Um, but they live to enjoy the moment and that's all the meaning that they think they need in life I'll just get what I can in this moment and please myself and live from moment to moment and in a society like that there's nothing more unwelcome than somebody telling everybody with a frown on their face the end is coming you need to sober up there have been people I've met who've learned that I'm a minister and tried to be nice to me by saying to me, oh, but you're probably not one of those fire and brimstone preachers, are you? And I'll say, "Uh, well, sometimes maybe I am, depends on what the Bible's saying when I'm trying to explain it and then it gets a little bit awkward, you know. Um, I'm not a ranter and a raver but sometimes I talk about fire and brimstone and I will be talking about it tonight because it's here in this passage. We tend to avoid the topic of judgment because it's confronting and it makes everybody uncomfortable but the thing is that if there is a God... And if God expects things from us, then he is going to hold us accountable for whether we deliver those things or not. And we can't ignore that context for our lives that God is expecting something and there is accountability on the horizon for us. Now, we've heard uh, over the last few weeks in Amos that it's largely about judgment uh, because Amos was preaching to Israel, the northern kingdom, and it was a crooked, idolatrous, arrogant, complacent society and Amos's job was to tell them time is running out, God is coming in judgment Uh, and indeed uh, history tells us that 20 or 30 years after Amos prophesied God did arrive in the form of the Assyrians and they smashed Israel to bits and so God's judgment did arrive on Israel Uh, but these prophecies in Amos uh, aren't just for the time in Israel, they also foreshadow a much greater judgment which is coming on the whole world, the New Testament says. And how do we know that a much greater judgment is coming on the whole world? And Amos wasn't just talking about his own time. Well, because in Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament, Paul uh, Paul says, God has set a day when he will judge with the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So we've got these prophecies in Amos that judgment was coming then, which point forward to a far greater judgment, and that's confirmed by the fact that God has raised Jesus from the dead. He's coming again to judge. So all of us are living with this on the horizon. Judgment Day is coming. And it's not a good strategy to think as little as you can about it. It's a much better strategy to think deeply about what's coming and think about it often and live your life in the light of it. And these last three chapters of Amos show us why it's so important to keep this in mind. It shapes our priorities in the present and it shapes our hopes for the future. There is so much more to live for than just the moment and what you can get here and now. There's something coming which we need to be ready for. So the first chapter and a bit in this passage show us what's demanded in the present if we believe that there's a judgment coming. So this is chapter 7 and a little bit extra. Um, After all, if you were on the Titanic and you saw the iceberg coming, you wouldn't be thinking, where's some more champagne Um, if you thought there was any chance of escape? You'd be thinking where are the lifeboats and you'd be dragging other people towards the lifeboats as well and you'd be telling them there's an iceberg on uh, um, that we're about to crash into so amos sees four visions here firstly two visions of total destruction in verses one to six which will not happen and then another couple of visions showing the urgency of justice so firstly uh, there's a vision of god preparing a swarm of locusts to totally wipe out israel and amos says in verse 2 Sovereign Lord, forgive, how can Jacob survive, he is so small? And so the Lord relented, this will not happen, the Lord said. Similarly, verses 4 to 6, God's preparing judgment by a huge fire that would wipe out Israel and Amos pleads in similar terms and the Lord again relents, this will not happen, the Lord says. And perhaps the point there is that God was not going to send kind of scorched earth judgment to end the story there, there and then. He demonstrates his choice in these first two visions not to do that and there are reasons not to wipe everything out not least that he'd made promises and there's his mercy so he's not going to do that in the first two visions but the next two visions give much more compelling pictures about why he does have to do something why he does have to step in and judge uh, the urgency of justice so in verses seven to nine Amos sees God holding a plumb line which is like a builder's instrument to show whether things are crooked or straight and uh, so this is the opposite of indiscriminate total destruction which God considered in the first two verses, this is very precise and exact, he's got an instrument there that he's measuring everything against Uh, and if, and the point is I think that if you notice that there's a wall leaning in your house and it's looking very dangerous because you're holding up a plumb line and you're thinking that's going to collapse... you can't relent from fixing it because your house is going to fall down if you don't it has to be fixed and so here is God God holding up a plumb line in verse 9 to the religion of Israel and to the kingship in Israel which were crooked and they needed to be brought down. Um, Now that was Israel in that time imagine what God sees when he holds up the plumb line to our world and to our society and he sees so much crookedness and so much that needs fixing there needs to be justice And i think everybody would would agree with that and then the fourth vision is in verses uh, chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 where amos is shown a bowl of ripe fruit pretty simple vision there's a bowl of ripe fruit Uh, and the point is that it's clear that the time is right when you notice the the fruit is ripe um, you can't relent from using it otherwise it's going to go to waste Um, we get regular veggies uh, um, in our house on thursdays and sometimes we have this massive feast of veggies for dinner. It's like veggie night, all kinds of veggies just all arrive. We eat very well in our house but particularly on these veggie nights because my wife Jo says to us, they were ready and we're getting some more tomorrow so we just have to eat all through these veggies. They're ready to eat otherwise they go to waste. Um, When it's ripe, you've got to use it and so here's Amos seeing this bowl of ripe fruit and the time is ripe, he's got to send the judgment. And again, that was that time and you you think about these days, when God sniffs the world and looks at the world, surely he can smell that the time is pretty close to ripe. It's time to step in and do something. So you'll notice that after both of these uh, visions, three and four, the same phrase, I will spare them no longer... So, God could relent from sending total destruction in the first two visions, but He couldn't deny justice or ignore what had to be done now in the second two visions. Justice is necessary and it's urgent. But notice that uh, between these two visions of the urgency of judgment, there is this confrontation between Amos and one of the priests in Bethel, a guy called Amaziah. And that shows the need for preaching. Um, we've heard in Amos he said some pretty negative things about uh, the religion and the rich upper classes and those who were running the nation and he was saying these things at Bethel which was the centre of their worship and the seat of their government and so making himself really unpopular by saying all this critical stuff about them and there's some pushback which we see here so Amaziah was the priest at Bethel and he complains to the king Jeroboam about Amos in verse 10 he says, You know, he's undermining your kingship, and the land cannot bear all his words, and he's prophesying that you're going to die, and the nation's going to exile. And then he turns to Amos in verse 12, and he says, Amos, get out. Go back to Judah and do your prophesying there. We don't want you here anymore. And Amos replies in verse 14, and he basically says, Well, I'm actually a shepherd and a fig farmer. Prophesying was never really my thing, but God took me, and he put me here. And he told me to tell you these things so there's an urgency to this and that's why amos was there amos can't stop even if he wants to and so he doubles down with this word especially for amaziah he and his family would be caught up in the exile and all the horrors in verse 17 and the reason i think that this little episode is placed here in verses 10 to 17 uh, is that if god's justice is necessary and urgent if judgment day is coming then the preaching of judgment is crucial Uh, this is why a farmer from judah that's amos was there in bethel making himself unpopular amos wasn't really there by choice wasn't a career choice for him i think i'll become a prophet and head to bethel Uh, he'd rather be home on the farm i would say but god took him and gave him this urgent job because god knew what he needed to do and it's good to remember that it's similar with us the coming judgment drives the call to ministry judgment is coming the world needs to be told and so god calls his people to preach and god calls all of his people to preach in the new covenant it's not just people like amos whom god taps on the shoulder and says okay you're going to be a prophet Uh, in the new covenant in the new testament we're told uh, actually quoting joel all of god's people have the spirit all of god's people will prophesy And everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved so we are all called to tell the gospel uh, to prophesy which means passing on god's truth i think and some will find themselves devoting their whole lives to doing that Um, but the question here is why would someone devote themselves to proclaiming the gospel to a world that really isn't interested in hearing it Um, whether they go to bible college and do it full time like anna and ryan are on the track to do or do secular work and look for opportunities to support the gospel work from that position. Why should all of us devote ourselves to the work of the gospel? Well, it's not something we choose as a career choice or as a hobby that we do on the side, it's a command from God in view of the judgment that is coming. He says, this is essential because the judgment is urgent. And so, we can't stop just because people don't want to hear it or even if we would prefer a a quiet life tending sheep or sycamore fig trees which sounds very peaceful and nice just retiring to the country and living a quiet life we have to do whatever it takes to get the message to as many people as possible because judgment day is coming the plumb line is out and God can see that it's crooked and the fruit is ripe God can smell it and so people must be warned This is the context of christian ministry Um, if there wasn't a judgment day i certainly wouldn't be in christian ministry Uh, this is what's demanded in the present if the future is judgment Uh, the rest of amos describes what the future holds so chapters 8 and 9 this is what's coming and there's a description of the day of judgment and then there's a vision of the god of judgment and then there's a description of the day beyond judgment which is the hope uh, in the end at the end of amos So firstly, there's lots that could be said about the Day of Judgment in chapter 8, but I'm going to be brief. Perhaps the main point is the finality of that day when it comes, as Amos describes it here. It will be the end point. And that means that it will be a day of grief for those who will lose everything, who've invested everything in this life. Uh, Look at chapter 8, verse 3. It says, In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing, many many bodies flung everywhere silence that's a fairly uh moody verse isn't it very grim very final these people who were once so pleased with their crooked religion silenced verses 4 to 6 it'll be a day of justice amos again points to their greed their exploitation of the poor and their superficial religion and then verse 7 it says the lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob." i will never forget anything they have done Uh, that's a chilling verse in the context isn't it i will never forget anything they have done judgment day there'll be no vagueness there'll be nothing missed there'll be nothing left under the carpet just perfect justice god will never forget anything that we have done and note uh, the depth of this justice um the whole creation is affected we might think that um You know, sin is just kind of little spots on the surface that spoil things superficially. But when God judges sin, verse 8, the land trembles and it returns to the waters and the sun goes dark in the daytime, in verse 9, like the undoing of creation. God withdraws the light, God withdraws the land. Uh, And the point is that sin, sin corrupts the very fabric of creation. It's not just spots on the surface, it goes very deep and God's judgment will pull it up by the roots so that the earth shakes and creation is undone to an extent. And the finality of the judgment is also um, underlined in verses 11 and 12 where Amos predicts a famine of God's word. Now you might think, well, who cares about a famine of God's word because no one's really all that keen to hear it anyway. It's sort of, got to sit here and listen to God's word, It'd be nice to have a break. But if, the thing is that if God stops speaking... Then it means that God has abandoned us totally and that's very bleak for the world if God's word stops then it's all over heaven will have shut its doors it's very grim and very final this picture and the last couple of verses in chapter 8 the flower of Israel's youth would fall never to rise again in other words no future for Israel so judgment day really will be the end of the world as we know it and the end of life as we know it when Jesus comes again game over in terms of all the things that we're, well, many of the things that we're living for and all the things that we do. And the point is that if, you are, if your meaning is tied up in this world and all your blessing is found in this life, then Judgment Day is going to end everything for you. Um, I was listening to a history podcast about the eruption of Mount Vesuvius um, during the week, 79 AD. Kind of nerdy, isn't it? So there's a confession for you. I was listening to a history podcast and a guy called Pliny the Elder was the commander of the Navy and Vesuvius is erupting uh, over the Bay of Naples and he tries to sail a ship to rescue people from the affected area, but he couldn't get near the land uh, which was near the volcano. So he went to a friend's house nearby and landed his ship and there's fire everywhere on this mountain nearby and ash and pumice is raining down and uh, this guy Pliny just says... "Uh, It's okay, there's just people lighting fires up there, it's all right. And then he orders a bath and he has a bath and uh, has dinner and then he goes to bed and um, they knew that he was sleeping soundly because his nephew, Pliny the Younger, wrote that he was a stout man and they could hear him snoring from outside the door. Uh, And in the morning, they finally woke him up, but by that stage, there was no escape. The sun didn't rise because it's just ash and darkness everywhere and he was overcome by... The fumes in the end and his body was found two days later. Uh, So there's a guy who was probably a little bit casual. Um, That's the point of that story as well as this bit of a break in the middle of the sermon. Uh, But the point is that if the end is coming then you'd better believe it. Um, You'd better be ready. You can't just ignore it and have a bath and carry on as if everything is okay. The day of judgment will be the end is what amos is saying the whole the whole world will shake and the sun will stop shining Um, and so this is the point of the day of judgment in chapter 8. we're then given a vision of the god of judgment in chapter 9 verses 1 and 10 in in case you're in doubt as to whether this is serious or not Uh, in verse 1 amos has a vision of god standing by the altar in the temple because their religion was the greatest insult to god so the judgment starts there And uh, the initial point in this chapter is at the end of verse 1 where God says, not one will get away, none will escape. Uh, Then there's pictures of people trying to escape to all kinds of places like the bottom of the sea but there's nowhere to hide from God. In verses 5 and 6, God touches the earth and it melts. There's this vision of this almighty God Uh, that is, he's able to undo creation as well as create. And furthermore, he's the God of all the nations, not just Israel in verse 7. So they shouldn't think they'll be spared because he, he needs them especially. Oh, we're your special people, you can't touch us. He says, no, no, I'm the God of all the nations. And if you've sinned, uh, then you're, you're, you face my judgment as well. You might think, hang on, what, what about his covenant with Israel? Um, he does need them, doesn't he? I mean, he, hasn't he staked his reputation on his promises to these people? And this is the point where Amos gives us the first glimmer of hope in chapter 9 verse 8. He'll destroy the nation from the face of the earth and then he says, yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob. The exile, he goes on to explain, would be like running the nation through a sieve. You know, a sieve, like a a wire thing that you put rocks in and the small ones fall through and it catches the bigger ones or the sticks or whatever. Um, He'd run the nation through a sieve during the exile and the ones who are going to be caught out Um, who are in the most trouble, were the sinners. Uh, They were the ones who said disaster will not overtake or meet us. They, They didn't believe God's word. But he would leave something for the future. He would be discerning in his judgment. He wouldn't snuff out the light altogether. He would remember his promises. So the picture of God that we have here is that he's more than able to carry out judgment on an individual level, that is, finding people where they hide from him, and on a cosmic level, that is melting the earth and pouring out the seas, but he doesn't forget his plans and his promises. And the final section of Amos is very important because it points us to the day beyond the judgment, which is where the hope lies. And the main feature of these verses is that while God's judgment would, in some cases, in some senses, reverse the creation and reverse the blessings that he'd promised in the end after the judgment there would be a reversal of the reversal Um, so blessing would be restored for a renewed people of god in a renewed land and the renewed people are described in verses 11 and 12 in terms of god's promise to david a descendant of david's on the throne and the nations being included in god's people and we've seen that fulfilled in jesus who's a descendant of david and as the christian gospel is preached The nations are gathered into His kingdom. And then the renewed land is described in verses 13 to 15, God's people brought back into a land of great abundance, a restored creation, a life of great contentment and security, a reversal of the exile, a reversal of the judgment. And uh, again, this has begun for us in the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, and we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth described in Revelation where God dwells with His people to bless them for eternity and everything is renewed and uh, God's purposes are fully restored. So the point is for us as Christians that, that the end in a sense has come and the end is coming, both in judgment as well as in renewal. The New Testament tells us that if you belong to Christ, God's judgment on your sins has already fallen on Christ. You know, we, we read in Amos that he describes the earth trembling and the sun going dark and remember that's, that's, how it's, that's, that's what happened when Jesus was on the cross in the Gospels, the earth trembled and the sun went dark. Uh, judgment Day has already come on our sins when Jesus died on the cross. But of course, Judgment Day is also already still coming when Christ returns and the whole world will face judgment, including Christians although justice has already been served for the people of Christ. The New Testament also tells us that the new creation has already come, in a sense, in the resurrection of Christ and in the lives of believers through the Spirit, but the new creation is already still coming when Jesus returns and the whole world is renewed. And what this means is that Christians have much blessing to celebrate now, but we should also be very much orientated towards the future, And living for the day rather than for the present moment these chapters remind us that there is a context in which we live our lives which we mustn't ignore the world totally ignores it the world doesn't want to think ahead at all the world just wants to live in the moment but the context is that you and I are accountable for our sin and judgment day is coming and it will bring the end of life and the world as we know it as God pulls sin up by the roots Um, I once overheard a mother trying to get her little child to get in the car and the child didn't want to get in the car. It was in a public car park and I overheard what was going on. I couldn't really help it. Um, The child was being pretty naughty and pretty stubborn, probably three years old or two years old or something like that and the mother was trying all sorts of tactics to get this child into the car and the mother in the end said, if you don't get in the car, I'm going to cancel our holiday. And I heard that and I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I think everybody here knows she's not gonna do that, including that child. So the child didn't pay any attention, it didn't work. But then I also remember an episode in my own house in which one of my children was standing on another one of my children's precious soft toys just to deliberately cause distress. And I said to that child, if you can't respect other people's things, I'm gonna take something of yours. And as soon as I said it, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, where am I going with this? that's human discipline that's human judgment pretty random uh very imperfect let me tell you God knows where he is going with this God knows where he is going with the world and with judgment when God says that he is going to judge us it's not an idle threat it's not something that he's just made up on the spot to scare us he's not making this up as he goes along he created the world with a purpose He's redeeming the world with a purpose. He's made these promises in the Old Testament. He's fulfilled them in Christ. He's going to send Christ again. He knows exactly what he is doing. And the warnings are a part of his plan and so we have to take them seriously. His justice and his holiness demand that he brings justice to this world. Uh, If he's going to fix this creation, he has to uproot sin. There can't be heaven if there's not judgment first. He knows exactly what he's doing he knows where he's going with this and so it is going to happen and so there's a context in which we're living our lives which we can't ignore we've got to be ready uh, we have to turn away from our sin and we have to put our trust in Jesus who's already suffered God's judgment for our sins if we belong to him and we have to tell other people what is coming God is sending his people out to warn the world to prophesy if you like uh, and tell people how to be saved So um, I want to give you a a chance to respond personally to this and once again I've put a prayer at the bottom of the outline that you've been given. It's a prayer of commitment to God uh, which responds to this passage and I'll read the prayer and you can make it your own in your own head uh, if you'd like to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I am sorry that I have lived as if today is all that matters and your justice will never be done thank you for your word of warning thank you for your son who satisfied the demands of your justice for my sin then promised to return to judge the world please help me to live with that day in view help me to repent of my sin trust in christ and tell everyone i can that justice is coming in jesus name amen